One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to Wednesday's edition of the programme, John Paul taking your calls at 1850-333-103. Anything you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you throughout the day. You can text or WhatsApp as well to 0862-103-103. Let me start by taking a look at what the papers are saying with regards to the formation of a government. And it seems a number now of separate groupings of independent TDs are being formed. And that's ahead of what will be the first sitting of the 33rd Dáil and of course the first sitting of the Dáil is taking place tomorrow, Thursday. Sinn Féin has invited independents to talks on potential government for formation and a number of groups of non-party deputies are now forming ahead of the Dáil convening tomorrow. One group has been led by independent TD for Tipperary, Matty McGrath. They're believed to be already engaging in government talks. Then there's another group of independents being organised by Marion Harkin and Michael Fitzmaurice. They're meeting to form a technical group and of course it's important for the independents to form technical groups because it gives them greater Dáil speaking time. So that's another little independent group. It's not sure or no one knows as of yet if they will engage in talks because they haven't said whether they will or they won't. Now those two independent groups are separate to the one that's already there which is the Independence for Change group of deputies. So therefore now we have three different groupings that whoever decides to form the next government whoever will be the main party in the next government are going to have to talk to three individual groups and they're going to have to agree to the demands of three individual groups you can see that this really is going to take a very very long time indeed what's expected to happen tomorrow well I think we can almost say money on that there won't be a Taoiseach uh, elected tomorrow uh, with um, Mary Lou MacDonald Leo Varadkar Micheál Martin and Eamon Ryan, they'll all put their names forward. Nobody will have enough to be elected Taoiseach. Already the, the People Before Profit leader, Richard Boyd Barrett, he was speaking on national uh, TV last night. He says that he is at this stage likely to vote for Mary Lou. And one member of the Fianna Fáil front bench, this is according to Fiac Kelly, the deputy political editor of The Times. He said one member of the Fianna Fáil front bench suggested that Fianna Gael could help a Fianna Fáil-led minority government to pass budgets but retain the right to vote as it pleased on government motions of confidence. So kind of supply and confidence arrangement but without the confidence more, more that they'd prop them up 
but then they, they could vote whatever way they wanted on various draw motions. I just don't know how stable that would be or how long a government like that would last. We are on to day 10 of the negotiations but everyone is predicting that the wait is going to be considerably longer. As we mentioned yesterday back in 2016 it took 76 days before a government was formed. How long this is going to drag on for nobody knows. Now if t- the one question that was about being asked yesterday what happens if the TDs are unable to decide? Well if collectively as a group they can't decide who's going to form a government. Well the outgoing Taoiseach which at the moment will be Leo Varadkar, he may then have to ask the President to dissolve the doll again because technically when it convenes tomorrow we're up to the 33rd doll. So he'd have to go back and say can you dissolve it again? If the Taoiseach has the support of the majority of the members of the doll and he or she advises the President to dissolve the doll, the President then must do so. However, in the current case, the Taoiseach doesn't have the support of the majority of the doll members so the President could refuse to dissolve the government. And given the fact that we're at day 10 and it did take 76 days the last time to form a new government, it is unlikely that Michael D. Higgins would tomorrow dissolve the doll if, say, Leo Varadkar decided to go over and say, would you dissolve it, please? I think he will say, go back to the drawing board, boys and girls. It took you 76 days the last time. Try and speed it up a little bit, but go back and try and uh, sort something else out. There has been deadlocks in the past, but they've been broken by negotiations. There's been, for example, there was the support of the, uh, the there was a minority government formed back in 1989. There was another one in 92, uh, 93. There was a similar long time to form a government and they eventually got a coalition together and that was back in 94, 95. So the talks have to go on. And then if after all of those protracted talks they still couldn't come to any kind of a decision. The President then uh, would decide if the President decided a breakthrough is impossible, he then issues a proclamation dissolving the doll. What happens then? We have another general election and that as with all general elections, once they're called, would have to be held within uh, 30 days. But a really interesting poll is making the front page of the Daily Mail today. It is a Morock research with Extra.ie and it shows that almost half of the electorate want Mary Lou Macdonald to be the next Taoiseach. According to this poll, she is the most popular choice to head up a government. 42% of those who were surveyed, she said Mary Lou was their favourite choice for the top job, even though many would say at this stage she has little chance. Well, she certainly has no chance of winning a doll vote tomorrow. But even looking at the numbers, it's going to be very, very hard for her to get the majority she needs so that she could go on to be Taoiseach. We're not ruling it out, but it is with the way the numbers are at the moment, it's it's looking uh, like a very slim chance indeed. But according to the people that were polled, they want Mary Lou to be the next Taoiseach. She was supported largely by those under 55. 43%, sorry, 45% of women favoured her compared to 38% of men. Isn't that an interesting statistic? And Sinn Féin continues to grow in popularity. Certainly this poll is good news for the Sinn Féin party. 35% of people now say they would vote for Mary Lou Macdonald's party if another election was called in the morning. And unfortunately it's bad news for the other major parties. Support for Fianna Fáil, according to this poll, has dropped. It's gone down by over 5%. Now it's 17%. And that's since the election and Fianna Gael 
have also fallen by just uh, fallen by just under three percent, and they're down at eighteen percent. So they've published the age factor. They've taken a look at the different age groups that they surveyed, and they've broken it down to see who wants who for Taoiseach. Now, overall, Micheál Martin came out with 26% of the vote. Leo Varadkar was the least popular at 18% of the vote and then Mary Lou on top at 42%. And then when you break it down, in the under 35s, she got a whopping 52% of the vote uh, on, on this poll said that they wanted her as Taoiseach. That compared to only 18% for Micheál Martin and worse news for Leo, Leo Varadkar, only 15 And then in the 35 to 44s, she also did well. 48% of those surveyed want her as Taoiseach compared to 16% for Leo and 20% for Micheál Martin. In the 45 to 54 age group, 40% said they want or they would like Mary Lou to be the next Taoiseach. 29% for Micheál Martin and 17 for Leo Varadkar. And the only group that she didn't win outright was the older population, the over 55s. When they were asked in this survey, who would you like to see as the next Taoiseach? Only 30% went for Mary Lou MacDonald. In the over 55s, the 36% of them went for Micheál Martin with 23% going for Leo, Leo Varadkar. She still bet Leo Varadkar in the over 55. So it's an interesting uh, survey. So it continues. It continues. Uh, I, I, I'm assuming that some of the, be- the booking of the, the betting offices are now taking bets on how many days is it going to be for the formation of this government. I mean, we're at day 10 and when you look at the last one, 76 days, will it go even longer than 76 days? Uh, we can only wait and uh, see. And in the meantime, we have nobody running the government as such. But it continues on with the same ministers in place. And actually talking of those ministers, one of them is going to be joining us on the programme and that's Minister Jim Daly. He's going to be joining us in a uh, couple of minutes. And this ties in with the very sad death at the weekend of Caroline Flack. And since Caroline Flack has died, there has been a lot of criticism uh, of social media and people who've been trolling the likes of Caroline Flack and people saying nasty things online. And we've spoken about this. This isn't the first time that this issue has surfaced. How do we stop people becoming keyboard keyboard warriors. They're anonymous. They're sending out absolute bile. Some of the tweets and comments that come out on Instagram and on Facebook. How do we stop it happen- happening? And if it happens, how do we track down somebody that says really nasty, horrible and threatening? In some cases, it's threatening the stuff that's put up on a line. How do we go after those uh, people, you know, in many cases, they're, they're hate crimes. And of course, it's very easy. I could now, sitting here at this keyboard and computer in front of me, set up any social media account and I can pertain to be anyone I like. I can be any age group. I can be any sex. I can be any ethnicity. I can come up with any name that I like and I can set up an account. There's no identity verification there's no age verification on it and of course when it comes to age verification that's really important because only yesterday there was a report out showing the effect of cyber bullying on 14 to 17 year olds and really frightening stuff out of this particular piece of research because it showed on young people that are cyber bullied cyber bullied many of them 
actually owned up and felt the only way for the that the cyberbullying would end would be if they took their own lives. They were actually saying suicide was the only option for them for the cyberbullying to to end. And in many cases, we have young children going on social media sites that they shouldn't even be on because some of them are over 16. And these are younger teenagers who are on these social media sites because they just click the box. Are you over 16? Yes. Are you over 18? Yes. Very easy thing uh, to do. So do how can we put in place some force the social media platforms to put in place age verification and identity verification. And we've invited Minister Jim Daly to join us on the programme because Jim has been a great advocate of this, obviously in his work as the Minister with Responsibility for Mental Health. He saw the effect that social media has been having, particularly on young people. And it's one of those bugbears that he's had. It's really annoyed him that young people can simply open up a social media account and anyone can do it and anyone can pertain to be anyone. You can have a 50-year-old man letting on there a 14-year-old child on some of the platforms. So it can be very dangerous. For, for young people. So he's been pushing for quite some time to get the social media companies to put in place and, you know, legislate for it if we need to, that you have to do age and identity verification. So we've inv- invited Jim uh, to join us on the programme this morning. We're also going to hear a call for the future, go- well, whoever the future government are, that they need to provide financial support to guarantee the future of our post offices. Uh, if if you ask people about their local post offices, the majority of people will say that the post office is a very important service, not just in what it provides for older people who go, say, collect their pensions or people who go down and get their children's allowance or to buy their stamps or if you're posting packages. Uh, you know, it, it provides a, a really, really important service, but also in very rural areas, there's a social aspect uh, to it and it's almost like a little community and people look out for each other and if someone who regularly comes to the post office on a Friday and is always there after the mass at 10 o'clock, if that person suddenly doesn't show up time and time again we've had that little post office community the staff in the in the post office will be worried because they know that Mary always comes in on a Friday morning she goes to Mass and then she comes in to collect her pension Mary lives on her own they would know from the previous week that Mary wasn't going away because she'd have told them if she was going away and suddenly Mary doesn't uh, show up and an alert can go, can go out and it has happened that somebody has called to a person's house and they've had a fall or they've been unwell and they've been able to to raise the alarm and, and get help, so, and you can't put a monetary factor, a monetary amount on that kind of service. And and I know people would say, oh, sure that you you know we can't have post offices everywhere, everywhere. Well, yes, we can. We've always had every area has always had a small post office. It's not going to cost that much to prop up the small service to keep to keep it going. So the postmasters are putting out a call before the new government is even formed to say, look, we're here, guys. You have to look after us. There's now less than a thousand post offices in this country. I think the ones that we have, we need to dearly, dearly hang on to. So we'll discuss that on the programme today. We've advice to people who may need to get a wig due to hair loss for whatever reason. We have a tendency to associate hair loss and the need to get a wig with cancer patients and obviously that's a very important thing and for somebody who's going through cancer and going through chemotherapy and losing hair particularly for females it can be absolutely devastating and for people who are already battling this cancer diagnosis and then suddenly to discover that they are losing or have lost their hair and a wig can make a huge 
huge difference to them. But you will also then have people due to a medical condition who will lose their hair and some people can lose their hair at a very, very young age and I think for us females hair can be a bit of like the crown and glory and people like their hair their hair, and they like their hair to be nice and we go to the hairdressers if we're going somewhere special and we, you know, we want to make sure that it's all perfect and could you imagine if you were faced with your hair is, is gone and, and, it, and it's not coming back or maybe it's not going to come back for many months or years. A week then is the obvious choice but how do you go about getting a proper wig and this was kicked off by a listener who contacted us on Monday who's in that position. It's not due to cancer, it's due to a medical condition. She's losing her hair and uh, she was looking for advice on wig clinics and how do you go about it and so and then we were contacted by somebody who runs a wig clinic in Cork and in Mallow and we said you know we'll, we'll, bring, we'll bring that lady on and have a chat with her as to how you know what sort of medical conditions present themselves and, and what is it like for somebody to lose their hair and what difference does it make uh, when you get a wig and how do you go about getting a wig you know do you, do you instantly go in I'm, I'm not a blonde but I often think of would I, would I go for a kind of when I decide suddenly I'm going to be blonde <laughs> blondes have more fun and all that or would it just not suit me at all so anyway we'll get all the advice on wigs so if you've got a question with regard to uh, getting a wig or the need to get a wig get your questions in uh, to us throughout the morning 1850 or you can text our WhatsApp we're also going to discuss and hear about a famous Canadian painter who was originally born in Mallow. Now, I'm unsure where in Mallow uh, he was born, but he was a gentleman by the name of Paul Kane. And we're talking about this was back in the early 1800s. And his family emigrated to Canada in the 1800s. But he went on to become one of Canada's most famous painters and I certainly had never heard of this gentleman uh, before and I've now I did a bit of research yesterday seen some stunning uh, paintings that he's done so there is it's all thanks to the Mallow Fields Club that's the local historical society so they've decided that they'd like to do something it's nice to commemorate people who originally came from an area so they're on to Cork County Council to say what can we do how can we commemorate you know how can we acknowledge this man who obviously is very much acknowledged in Canada but needs to be acknowledged and remembered in his hometown as well so we'll talk about Paul Kane on the programme today and it is Wednesday so Peter Dowdrell will join us uh, answering all of your gardening questions and when we were talking about social media abuse and the the, the absolute vile that some people can put up on social media and they think it's okay and they never stop and think about the person who's at the receiving end of it and says Patricia I just saw in the paper this morning that Father Ray Kelly, you know Father Ray who's in Dancing with the Stars, he's been getting lots of hate calls, letters and other things. Goodness me, Suzanne, what is the world coming to? And I'm glad that Father Ray has gone public on this one and he's also has gone so far, has had to complain to the Gardaí after receiving in particular an abusive phone call to his parochial house last week. Now he do, he has admitted that he's been getting a slew of cards and letters to his home in Old Castle in County Meath since he first appeared on Dancing with the Stars. And he said, you know, most of them are people in support saying, well done Father Ray, you're great and you know, keep it up and all that. But he said he's also been receiving lots of negative messages and in particular, negative messages from people telling him that he should step down from the show and that he shouldn't continue on Dancing with the Stars. He said one particular card said, <clears throat> remember what happened to John the Baptist when a woman danced for him? He was beheaded. Imagine somebody writing that to poor old Father Ray. And he said, <clears throat> said there was another card that said, 
Father Ray, wouldn't it be wonderful, a wonderful witness with Lent coming, if you now, for the nation, decided to pull out of Dancing with the Stars and show the nation just the sacrifice you're making by pulling out. What a ridiculous thing to make. But anyway, it got a tad worse then after that. He got a phone call. He took a phone call. Now, first of all, he missed a phone call. and There was a message left on his answering machine and when he picked up and when he listened to it he said it was just extremely abusive it was an expletive filled phone call he said every second word was the F word so it was mm, priest parish parochial house housekeeper fat effing belly dancing around the floor now he said the man then left his number on the phone and his name. So when the number came up on Father Ray's landline, he said he answered the phone and he said, this is about two hours later, there was another phone call and he said, he was, I suppose he was a bit nervous because, you know, to, to listen to a message like that and a hate-filled message like that is really, really difficult. So he said when he rang back a couple of hours later, the guy, the man said, can I speak to Father Ray Kelly, please? And uh, Father Ray said he was suspicious. He knew straight away who it was and he said, oh, I'm sorry, he's not here now. And uh, he said, you know, can you leave a message? And he, and he said, can you tell him from me? And he said he went into the whole spiel of vile again. All the bad language, saying everything about uh, Father Ray. So Father Ray got on to Dancing with the Stars and they said, look, you need to make a formal complaint to the uh, Gardaí and he says, he, uh, which he has done but he said it was hard being at the receiving end of such negativity and uh, he was trying not to let it affect him uh, personally I mean it it really is uh, shocking and, and I would, I mean I'm, I'm imagining most people just see Father Ray on Dancing with the Stars as a little bit of fun and well done and there's been enough bad publicity and bad press about uh, priests and here he is on what is a very very popular programme and you've got it's one of those programmes where from very young children right up to granny you know whole families there's not many programmes that whole families can sit down and watch Dancing with the Stars really is uh, one of them I haven't seen that much of this series I have to say I've seen a little bit of Father Ray not the greatest dancer but you God help him isn't, isn't he doing his best anyway but isn't that Anne thinks it's absolutely shocking and wonders what is the world coming to that if poor old Father Ray can get that kind of hate mail and hate calls and shame on whoever uh, rang up and abused him uh, like that it, it's nasty beyond nasty 1850 John Paul taking your calls. Court today on C103. With a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go. Shortcastle Street, Mallow. Smokeless coal, turf, gas, and kiln dried wood. Open late seven days. Lowcostfuel.ie. Eggfoil and mock, quid then and here is Farlin. Shot eight thrower, C103 Air Kirkig. Oskaliach Park, Glown the Tromor, Lediani, Erin Devo Yas, Dungahir, Agassiz Fader Shoe, Nutamontrige, Hogalor Rodiger Fader Yan of Safork, Ha Rian BMX Sam, Unadakwech the Fen Air, Is Fader Rugby at Immertown, Dollar Q Lodi, Agas Ta and Dome Alm, Is Fader Raika Oiler, Galor does not deal Suntashita Gurkig, Unwinta Fiachanisha, Ha Park, Glown the Tromor, Erin Devo Yas, Dungahir. Nukta, quid denanija is fari gorkig C103. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. Now, following the tragic death of Caroline Flack last weekend, there's been increased calls on social media companies to do more about unacceptable content on their platforms. And yesterday, a UCC study of 14 to 17 year olds showed that some teenagers see suicide as the only viable escape from cyberbullying. Last year, Minister Jim Daly, the Minister with Responsibility for Mental Health, advocated
advocated for the creation of an online verification code that would verify the age of the person and the identity of the person in order to establish a social media account. And Minister Jim Daly uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Jim. Good morning, uh, now, 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 Jim, firstly, I am right. You are still minister. Um, you, you remain in place until the new, go- the new government is formed. Yeah, uh, thank you for the, the phone call, Patricia. I was starting, I was yesterday's news. So I was very pleasantly surprised that I got a phone call from you there yesterday uh, to come on today. Um, yeah, I am technically in post until uh, the Taoiseach is elected. So however long that takes, I have the responsibilities of Minister of State until that time. Okay. Uh, it, it's not a very onerous uh, task at the moment. There's not an awful lot happening. You know, it's kind of in paralysis, to be honest. But if there's any, you know, emergency stuff to be dealt with, you're there. Okay, now at the moment, anyone can set up... Uh, a social media account under any name and and any guise. And is that the part that really worries you? Yeah, well, where I was coming from with this is I I believe that, you know, nobody should be 100% anonymous. Everybody should be, you know, held accountable or responsible for what they publish. Because effectively, if you were to look at it in today's terms, everybody is a publisher. When I was a young boy growing up, uh, you know, the only publishers were editors of newspapers and producers of radio stations and presenters like yourself. But nowadays, everybody can be a publisher and everybody has access to the World Wide Web and can write what they want about whoever they want and say what they want. And there seems to be little or no, um, you know, accountability there. And what's particularly irritating is the fact that people can do it anonymously and it takes an awful lot of resources, time, effort. You might remember there one time there was a high profile case in Dublin where uh, I think it was a politician or a former politician was eventually tracked down into a cafe where he was sending these messages, but they had, you know, recording and all that to go on. So it's, it's very resource intensive to try and get to the bottom of somebody who's anonymous. And I, I believe that nobody should be allowed that full anonymity. And I'm not interfering with freedom of speech. People will, you know, protest very loudly that people should, are, you know, in, I suppose entitled to have their, uh, their, I suppose their own ability, their own mechanism, if you like, or their own way of publishing online. But if you look at the Southern Star, I think it's a very good example. There's a guy, a, a gentleman there, we'd assume he's a gentleman by the name of Archon, that writes there every week, and he has a pseudonym, and nobody knows who he is. But at the same time, the editor of the Southern Star mm. is, you know, responsible for it, uh, publishes the article, and knows who he is. And at the end of the day, he is accountable. So I think it should be the same on and uh, social media. There should be an online verification code which would uh, guarantee people. Um, basically, what I did, I looked at some private company I met with them. Who uh, they, it's a complicated system to explain it in detail. But yeah, because uh, my next question was going to be, how do you set up age and identity verification online? Yeah, it's very easy to do this uh, without going into all the logistics of it, but there is effectively a machine that would be attached to everybody's... Um, your PPS number would go into the machine and an OVC, an online verification code, would call oh, you. Oh, OK. And that, that hides your PPS number, it hides your date of birth, it hides everything else. But it, you know, that is will tell the person at the other end. It's an encrypted form, if you like, an encrypted form of information. So the person receiving it doesn't have any of your information. Your personal details are still personal to you. But in the event of something being wrong, or it can also guarantee your age, you know, that you are over 18 or over 16 or over whatever, uh, very easily can be done by that. You wrote about the issue uh, in the Sunday Independent last year, and I I found the piece online uh, yesterday. What reaction did you get to it at the time? Can you remember? Yeah, um, it, it was always an uphill 
struggle. Uh, there is the whole thing about personal privacy and the invasion and rights. You know, there's a whole cohort of people believe that anything like that is a step too far, that it's in any state, and you get that side of it. What I did at the time was I met with the Data Protection Commissioner in Ireland, uh, Miss Dixon, Helen Dixon, met with her and discussed it with her. She had no issue with it in, in theory, really. She said it's, you know, there isn't, she could see the merit of what I was proposing and wasn't objecting to it on any data specific grounds. The only problem she saw with it, and she raises a very valid point is that it would be very difficult to implement it through Ireland alone, that you would have to get at least a European buy-in. So then I wrote to the EU commissioner at the time, it was a different commissioner, she's since been moved on, um, I forget her name now, she was a lady from, who was the commissioner for, uh, with responsibility for data protection, and she wrote back to me and said, yeah, look, it certainly has merit and it certainly has, you know, worthy of further consideration and so on and so forth. Uh, locally with the Irish government, with my own government, again, look, it wasn't welcomed wholeheartedly. I think uh, I wasn't high enough uh, high enough up the food chain to actually implement it or drive it any further than that other than put forward the proposal. It comes under the jurisdiction of the Department of Communications and so on, and you know, you have all of these different departments and different Secretary Generals with responsibility. So I wasn't really able to progress it any further other than put it out there and try and get it considered. And get the, yeah, and get the debate going. And, and you were looking at it from young from you know young people teenagers in particular and then to see that report that came out yesterday that the victims of cyberbullying can be so consumed by spiralling negative thoughts that they feel there's no escape from it and the UCC report study of 14 to 17 year olds found that some perceived suicide as the only viable escape I mean that's that's that is really worrying Jim It is it is and like this is um, uh, you know a horrendous train coming down the tracks that is ever there prevalent and it's, it always reminds me of, you know, it may not be a problem today, but it could very well be someday. Anybody who has young children and they have access to the World Wide Web, unfettered access, uh, it really is a dangerous place to be. And I think, you know, society hasn't taken it serious enough. Uh, I think I've been one of the lone voices while I was in the Parliament uh, raising this issue multiple, multiple times uh, in various different guises and forms. I think I began it when I was chair of the Children's, the Oireachtas Committee on Children and Youth Affairs. Uh, I was only 12 months in that position and then when I became Minister of State with Mental Health, obviously came under that jurisdiction. But it was very difficult. I accept the argument that Ireland can't act alone, but mm-hmm. I'd also make the argument that Ireland can act as a leader. Ireland has yeah. done it before with things like the smoking ban and, you know, whatever it has been a leader before. And I think it could be a leader in this space and protect your children is a, a non-merciful price, you know, not a prize, if you like, that I think we should go after it. And I do think Ireland should step up to the plate. And I believe Ireland, and I've said this in the past, that my own government didn't step up to the plate and didn't do enough in this area. Uh, and it isn't just a government uh, issue. It's a societal issue. It's a parental issue. It's, you know, for schools, it's for communities, it's for, you know, it's for the whole of society. It's too easy just to say the government should do it. But I think the government certainly, certainly could do more than they are doing and could take it more seriously. You know, I suppose they will argue that they had many other pressing issues and challenges. And of course they had, of course they had. And the people have passed their judgment now on that. But I would like to see it become more centre stage to protect our children. Okay, then only time will tell if the new government will will take it on board. Are you completely out of the loop when it comes to discussions to form a new government, um, Jim? I am. I am. I'm completely. I'm not. A, it was a strange feeling on Monday morning to turn on the radio and hear the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party are meeting in Dublin today, and I was kind of God, jeez, I didn't even know what I was on. Uh, so it was unusual. Yeah, I, I'm no longer a TD. I don't have a mandate. I'm not a public representative anymore. I remain on in the employ of the Department of Health, all right, just as a Minister of State um, with responsibility there until the new Taoiseach is appointed. But no, I, I have no input whatsoever at, at, in the, within the corridors of power. I'm wearing your Fine Gael hat, though. What do you believe Fine Gael should do? Is it a 
time and is it time to spend some time in opposition? Uh, I, I said that actually four years ago when I was coming out to the council centre four years ago in Clannock Guilty after being elected um, to the Dáil. Uh, and I remember being asked onto the radio, the national radio stations following me to repeat it. But I, I felt even four years ago that uh, Fine Gael should have taken the heeded the message of the electorate. You know, now they, in fairness, they, they went in, they were, a government had to be formed and they stood up to the plate and did the decent thing. But I think the point that's been missed in a lot of the communication this time around, Patricia, is, uh, and I'm understanding the sidelines observing, but is, you know, a lot of parties and a lot of individuals campaigned to get Fine Gael out of government. That was their mantra. They really wanted to get Fine Gael out of government. And they, they have succeeded in that. And I think they have to step up to the plate now and they can keep throwing arrows across the floor all day long if they want. But, um, like West Cork was a good example of it, where uh, Holly Kearns got elected and, and well done to Holly. Congratulations to her. But I mean, it was the Sinn Féin vote elected Holly and it was really to get rid of Fine Gael, uh, unfortunately. We have no Fine Gael representative in Cork South West uh, as a result of that. Was that fair, part, on a personal level, was that very disappointing for you? It was, it was. It's very disappointing to see that and to see no TD in Cork South West where we would have always been, you know, a very strong party and uh would have been somewhat have gone so far as saying the home of Fine Gael, you know, the birthplace of Michael Collins and so on. So yeah, it was in the seat of seat that it wasn't my seat, but the seat that I had occupied for, for nine years and held for the party and, you know, Jim O'Keefe had the seat as was for thirty four years before that and, and on it goes. Uh, to see the seat gone, yeah, it was very disappointing. And I think but I think it's symptomatic of what happened. I mean there was this awful move to get rid of Fine Gael, to get Fine Gael out of government for right or for wrong. I mean, you look yesterday and you see that there was all the jobs, uh, you know, the increase in jobs and employment in the country and all that phenomenal figure that coming out, there was a lot of successes there, but there was a lot of challenges and people, we do live in a democracy, they've had their say uh, and I think the individuals that campaigned assiduously to get Fine Gael out of government, you know, I think not turning up for a meeting yesterday and I'm, I'm pointing the finger there to social democrats was disappointing. Uh, you know, I think you can't have it both ways. You can't be campaigning to get Fine Gael out of government and not prepared into the extra yard. Like when you think about it, they talk about the numbers and that you cannot, you know, I hear a lot of the RT commentators saying, oh, in fairness, Mary, you cannot get the numbers together. Yeah. But, like, the last government was formed with 57 TDs, you know, 57 TDs, and it made, we made it work. Fine and then with confidence and supply, you made it work. There, yeah, there's a way around everything. You don't need to have the 84 or 80 plus magical number. There's a way of making it work if their will is there. And I'm just questioning that issue of the will there. So from Fine Gael's perspective, my own view is, and I'm not, I don't have any input into the decision-making anymore, I do think that they should uh, go to opposition. And I think that, uh, you know, there was people very, very anxious to get them out. And when I say people, I mean uh, politicians elected on behalf of those people. And they have to step up to the mark now because you can have a lot of noise and bluster and, you know, people shouting from the, the sidelines and they're for everything and against nothing and all of this. That's not real politics. That's not real governance. That doesn't bring the country forward. It doesn't really deliver for West Cork. I would like to see, um, obviously, the, I think the most important thing is that West Cork would have a TD who will support the next government or be part of the next government, because I think my own time is testament to that, that it does deliver. Uh, there's massive infrastructural uh, delivery across West Cork over the last nine years, and I'm very, very proud of that, being part of the Fine Gael party that delivered that, and working for for that party and being a member of that party, and I sincerely hope that we will have a government TD, and that the TDs who are elected will do their bit to go into government, and will agitate to be part of government, not to be on the sidelines all the time making noise. And would, what's your gut instinct? Will a government be formed, or will there be another election? Um, 
it's hard to call. I mean, look, you know, there's a lot of momentum there that it will ultimately be Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil and the Green Party, something like that, which could potentially. But, I mean, I think the political parties shouldn't be afraid of another election. We live in a democracy. The people have thrown up uh, an unusual array and mix of uh, mix some gathering. Uh, I think the people see now a bit more again what, what's going to happen if they vote that way. And maybe people might change their minds. So if I was the leader of Fianna Gael today, I'd certainly be saying I have no difficulty with a second election. And I would be insisting going into opposition. And if that means a second election, well, then so be it. That would be my own personal view. And talking of the leader of Fianna Gael, is the, li- is the right leader in place in Leo Varadkar? Yes, I have no doubt about that. Um, you know, I obviously very controversially um, backed Leo Varadkar back in the day for the leadership. That is something that I have absolutely no regret about from that day to this. Uh, I think he's a very confident. I think he performs very well during the, you know, predicted to be. He was a very, very strong performer. I, I think from the party's perspective, I would imagine from talking to my colleagues, many of my colleagues within the parliamentary party, there's universal acceptance that he, you know, did a good job, that the reason Fine Gael were kicked out, I don't think is very attributable to, to Leah Bradker, or that there's any other personality within the party could have done any better in the circumstance. People want to change Fine Gael or there with nine years. That's a, a kind of a, a motion of life, if you like. Uh, I don't think if Leah Bradker promised a free house and a free car and a free holiday to every voter in Ireland, I'm not sure he was going to bring Fine Gael back into power, and I don't think anybody else could have done Okay. All right, Jim. Listen, we appreciate you taking our call. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, Good morning to you. That is uh, the Minister with Responsibility for Mental Health, uh, Jim Daly, joining us on the programme. Dan in Ballinhasic, picking up on Jim saying the amount of jobs that have been created since Fine Gael were in government. And Dan says, "Eh, absolutely, plenty of jobs were created, but we have to bear in mind that there is something like half a million people living in this country who are on a wage packet of less than €30,000 a year. Uh, People on that price range cannot afford to buy houses or get a mortgage. The only way we can solve the housing problem particularly for those people that are on 30,000 a year is to buy more is to buy and provide more sociable and affordable housing the amount of young people going back to live with mammy and daddy as they have no choice actually um, thank you for that Dan actually there's a report out uh, today I saw it earlier I know I have the have the paper with me somewhere uh, where it's showing the amount of young people that are now living once again living at home And I don't necessarily think it's to do with returning to home. There's a huge cohort of, in their early 20s and late 20s, who are, um, they never moved out of home. They can't afford to move out of home. People who say went to college uh, locally and actually went to college and stayed at home when they went to college and they now have their first jobs and they might be 25, 26, 27 and they're they're living at home with mammy and daddy. There's nothing wrong with it and hopefully everybody's getting on uh, fine but traditionally that age group would have moved in previous generations that age group would have moved on. They would have started maybe on the property ladder or would have been out renting. You know, killing a little bit of freedom and and independence and it's, it's not that they don't want the freedom and the independence they have no choice but have to remain at home as I say when it works it can work really well but it doesn't always work out really well sometimes the young adults can feel quite stymied the fact that they're in the house of of mammy and daddy and sometimes mammy and daddy as well yearn for the day that they'll have a bit of freedom where all the spare rooms uh, where all the children's rooms are spare rooms and then they'll still have the kids still staying there so yeah uh, Dan in Malinhasic is right is right there are a lot of people who simply cannot afford to either to rent 
are to buy. Um, and well, the jobs might be there, they're just not earning enough. 1850 333 103. John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go. Short Castle Street, Mallow. Open seven days for smokeless coal, turf, kiln dried wood, and gas. Lowcostfuel.ie is one of the world's most popular performers. Selling over 150 million records. With 33 top 40 hits. And 23 Grammy nominations. Now, see him live in New York VIP style. With C103. to Billy Joel in the Big Apple. Madison Square Garden on May 2nd. Stay listening to C103. Then text or WhatsApp every time Billy Joel plays. For your chance to get in the grand final. Billy Joel in the Big Apple starts Monday 24th with AmigoLoans.ie on Cork's greatest hits, C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Mary has contacted the programme because, unfortunately, Mary lost her car keys yesterday somewhere in Bandon Town. Now, she was in the Riverview Shopping Centre and she then left the River Shopping Centre and headed to the Bank of uh, Ireland on Main Street. So could have been somewhere along South Main Street. Uh, so basically she's asking us, did anybody pick up a set of car keys? Because obviously she backtracked uh, but can't find and retraced her steps but she can't find the car keys and it can be expensive to have to get a new set of car keys cost. So if anybody found a set of car keys yesterday in Bandentown, we obviously have all of Mary's details. Can you contact us here please at 1850 It would be fantastic to reunite Mary with her car keys. Now I'll get back a lot of calls and comments coming in and also interesting details on a scam uh, even though Lister was very aware that it was a scam and handled it correctly I'll bring that to you in a, in a minute but I want to move to a different topic because according to a Red Sea poll the vast majority of people in fact 86% favour government financial support to keep their post offices open and would also like to see more state services becoming available there Paddy O'Shea is with the Ahada Upper Post Office and he joins me uh, from the Irish Postmasters Union Good morning to you Paddy Good morning, how are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme Thank you Firstly, is business across the post office network falling and if so, why? Well basically we're not getting enough of services from the government, but a big one is the is you you know the the, the pensions etc. As you know, pensions, unemployment etc. etc. are uh, about forty percent of our income, and uh, some of those are going to the bank. Some some state agencies are, are uh, encouraging them to go to the bank. So it's about uh, dropping about six or seven percent per year per annum which we see it can't go on or, you know, people will close themselves. And do you really feel that the Department of Social Welfare who administer most of those payments, that they are actively encouraging people? Well, they tell us they're not, but basically they are, you know, their policy is a cash society. Yeah. So, I mean, people come into our offices, we're the biggest face-to-face um, uh, organization in the country 
so you have to come in to get your get your get your money and uh, obviously young people are, uh, an awful lot of it is online uh, but uh, we but looking at all that the red sea poll told us 80% of the people most of them uh, dublin was down a bit but an awful lot of the rest are think the post office do a great job and they feel, and there's a lot of young people as well, and they feel something should be done about it, that we should get that, uh, um, you know, some sort of financial uh, help as well, because, you see, in 2018, we did a deal with the company and uh, for three years, and uh, not every post office now, but but uh, about 80% of them got a contract for, the, for three years, and we're on being helped by the, by the company to run our offices at the moment. Now, that's due to, uh, to run out into uh, 20... Uh, next year. Tw- yeah, yeah, next year. 2021, next year, yeah. Yeah, 21. And uh, you see, we are going to be in trouble because when that has gone, there'll be a huge drop in income. Huge drop. You know, it, 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 you know, it won't be viable for a lot of offices to stay open. You know, I think about two or three hundred should go. That would be in my estimate. And I mean, hit an awful lot of small towns uh, and an awful lot of villages, etc., etc. And to be a bad, very bad thing for the country because uh, from the Red Sea poll, it said there that most of the people are saying we're doing a good job and they want us to continue. Well, in many, particularly the smaller, smaller villages and even smaller towns, it's the only financial institution right, still yeah. still standing and some of the smaller post offices are linked to a little shop right. so if the post office goes the shop goes well, and the shop, yeah, and there'll be know. nothing else left no, that's right because uh, we had the thing and we, we, we up the country now I didn't get too many down here but up the country in when we were in Dublin, Dublin at, at the, uh, the union meetings it, it was pointed out very many post office closed the, 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 the shop closes yeah. Because you see, you don't have the money. The other thing as well to point out is that the money when the post office is there is spent in the local village or town. That's a good point. That's a good point. An, o- an old age, and let's use the example of, of an old age pensioner, will go in and pick up their pension yeah. and then they'll go to the nearest shop, the nearest butcher, whatever it is. Right, and that yeah. money, you're right, will, will be spent. And when you talk of a cashless society, like a cashless society doesn't suit everybody. No, of course. Like I, I can see in the banks now when I go to the bank because I have a shop as well and I go in and there, there, there's a battery of machines there. Yeah. And I remember, I was I won't say the bank, but I was in the, going there for 40 years, and there was two women outside, and they said, Paddy, why don't you save time? There was a queue there, go up to the machine. I said, I have no intention of doing so. I said, I'll wait, because I'm coming here with 40 years, I'll continue. And it doesn't suit a lot of people. And as well as that, you see, but I always, and the more now I see it, more, an awful lot of people are computer literate, etc., etc. But there are a lot of people who still come into us and say, I got a form this morning. Would you look at it? Could you give me a hand to fill it in? Yeah. It's still there. Yeah. People say it isn't, but it is st- still there. And I think we do marvellous work like that. We do an awful lot of work we're not paid for, 
but we love doing it. Listen, Paddy, I remember the time of the local property tax, the amount yeah. of people who contacted us to say that they were having problems with the form and we directed them to their local post office yeah. and the amount of post offices that helped fill in the local property tax forms for people was just incredible. As you say, you never get paid for that. It's a kind of a, it's a, and there's, it's that whole social aspect of your business that you, you can't put a monetary value no, on it, and Paddy. You know what I see there myself now after 40 years in the post office that I did and now I see people, young men and women coming in and of course, they're the sons and daughters of the people, yeah. you know, yeah. and I, they're still coming, not as many as did before, because obviously young people's life now is different, but I mean, you know, they still want us there, though. they yeah. still want yeah. us to do a good job, yeah. you know. The, and, and I know this is nothing to do with you as a postmaster okay. in, in the decision of it, the, the raising of the price of the stamp yesterday by another yeah. 10 cent, one euro 10 cent now from March to post. It, to post it won't help us, no. No, that's not going to help. Okay. I am saying all day yesterday when I came up, we've nothing to do with it. We don't, no, you know. No, no, I know that, but I'm just, I'm just saying it. But it's not going to help because uh, if anything, it'll just turn people off. It will. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it goes up, and we we keep on saying to management about that, you know. The law of diminishing returns. You yes, put it right. up too much, and it'll be gone. There's currently nearly a thousand post offices. I looked at these figures yesterday. Yeah. Nine hundred and fifty-two. Would you have concerns, Paddy, over the viability of many of those? Oh, going I have. Yeah. I have a lot of, and you know what? I find a lot of them that were. You, you know, a lot of them now, uh, we had a branch meeting now last night in the, our, our, our city branch. And, uh, uh, you know, in the city, even in the city, they're, they're concerned because a lot of them pay rates and they pay rent still, you know, and all that, you know, will put an end to their, their, their thing because, you know, if the, if the money doesn't come in, you're in trouble. Mm. You, if you're doing any business, it must be viable. You know, we pay, as you know, we, we, we are self-employed, we pay rent, rates, we do everything. So definitely a few now in the city last night were saying it will be very tough on them, you know. OK, and, uh, and it's any, and of course. The city, the city is ours, villages as well, you know, and uh, in, in their own localities. And it um, will be, I can see if nothing is done, I would be saying I could see two or three hundred officers closing. Uh, now no, the company won't close them, but we'd be closing ourselves. Yeah, you know? and yeah, and it's not that you want to close, but of I course. mean fin- financially, it isn't. It isn't well, viable. You know, finance, you must like you must the money to keep going. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, okay, a listener says if the post office savings bank had yeah. current accounts and plastic cards, uh, many more would use the post office to pay bills and to take out ready cash. They would, no doubt about it. We'd say that to the company, of course. And there's a lot of other state services. A lot of other state services, and we're talking about uh, we're talking about um, uh, or driving license, etc., etc., and all the other ones they could do. We're talking for years about it. The motor tax, motor tax, we've been talking about yeah. for years. Motor tax, that's right. It would make it would make it easy. Um, okay, and just while you're on the line, we were discussing yesterday air codes on the program and who was using air codes and who wasn't. And a listener emailed to say, "I recently went to my local post office to update them on my new address. Yeah. I've moved to a rural area in the countryside, and I was giving them my air code. They said they don't use the air code. I had to give them directions to my house instead. I found it hard to believe a post no, office that doesn't I, use the I, air I, code." I, I, be very surprised as well. Yeah. The only thing we don't have the, the numbers. Yeah. We don't have the air codes numbers. You have to bring them in yourself. You have to bring them in yourself. Yeah. 
but uh, the air code is marvellous actually I think yeah. I think it's a great idea because there was a bad accident down here a, 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 couple, a month or two ago and the air code was used to get to the remote place yeah, you know, the air quotes so fantastic. It's very important, it's but we fantastic. don't have the, we don't have the, the list of them. No, but we definitely put this, uh, you know, uh, point him in the right direction. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, uh, Paddy. Listen, keep keep fighting the fight. We'll talk again. And thanks for joining us. Come here. Thanks for having me on. No Thank problem. You. Good bye morning bye, to bye. you. Bye bye. Lovely man. That's Paddy O'Shea, and he is the postmaster at Ahada Upper Post Office, but he's also the Cork. Spokesperson for the Irish Postmasters uh, Union. Um, don't let us forget our competition. Have I got my thing updated here? I do. Okay, we've got our competition every day this uh, week. We're giving you a chance to win the win with Atkins, Carrigrahan Road, and Husqvarna. We've got a Husqvarna hearing protection. They're headphones, but they come with built-in FM radio, and we have a pair of them to give away every day this week. Now, the the reason we're doing it this week, our Atkins are hosting a Husqvarna Auto More information evening and it's happening this day week in the Oriel House Hotel in Malancholic at half past seven. The admission next Wednesday night will be free and one of the lucky people attending will actually walk away with a free Husqvarna also more. That's Atkins, Carrigrahan Road, everything from the farm and garden. We play a line of a song with the last couple of words mowed off. In the next hour, we will give you the cue to call, but we play the song this hour so that you can take a listen to it and see if you can work out what are the last couple of words that we've mowed off the song. Okay, the more, the more, the more's going on a little bit. I don't, I don't need the full length at the end anyway. It's the last few words of that song. We'll play it again in the next hour and we'll give you your QQ2 call and your chance to win Husqvarna hearing protection with built-in FM radio. Now, Nora in Fremont was on to us. Uh, she's a lady who certainly knows her scams and she's aware of scams. So she knew, got suspicious as soon as she got this phone call. Anyway, she had a guy rang claiming to be from the bank saying that money had been withdrawn from Nora's account. So he had exact figures. €249 Euro was taken out first and then that was followed up by a withdrawal of €1,100. Euro. Now she said the guy from the bank that she was talking to had her surname but didn't have her first name. He also had her address. But of course, that kind of information readily available on on the Register of Electors. There's so many ways that you can find out people's names and addresses. And we unfortunately give away so much of our information as well, particularly if you're online a lot. But anyway, but it's very easy to get that kind of information. So he then proceeded to ask Nora, what was the name of her bank? Which she was saying, well, God, why are you asking me that if you're claiming to be from the bank? But he said he needed to know because he'd have to contact Western Union uh, for Western Union to transfer the money back to Nora. So she let it go. So right, yeah, off you go. She got a second phone call. This time it was from people, a different caller, but somebody telling her the reason that the money was handed out was because Nora's son, Pat, had gone in and showed into Western Union and showed them ID and he his passport with them. So they believed that this was Nora's son, Pat. So that's the reason that they took the money out of Nora's account and gave it to the son, Pat, instead. So Nora said, but sure, I don't have a son called Pat, so I don't know who you're talking about. So they said, well, do you want your money back? And obviously our Nora said, of course I want my money back. So then she got a third phone call 
this time it was meant to be from Western Union. But she said the guy that she was talking to, the third phone call, was getting all confused, didn't know really what was going on. Uh, and Nora was saying, but I want my money back. I was told by the previous two callers I'm getting my money back. He then realised, the guy realised that Nora had copped on that it was the scam and that she was only playing along. So he eventually hung up and said, we're not, we're not going to get in out of this, Nora, that's for sure. Well done, at Nora. But she said, just to make people aware, very convincing. They had all the path, they had all the right word things to say. Uh, and if you were anyway... Um, anyway just do don't bring your A game when you pick up the phone if you were distracted in any way you might get a fright and you might start thinking money has been taken from your account and of course we've heard before that some of these scam artists will ring up and start talking about as you know there are so many scams out there at the moment and this is what's after happening to you and they'll fool you into believing that you have been the victim of a scam and they're trying to help you out so you do need to be very very careful but well done uh, Nora cop straight away that it was a scam and she said that the number came from uh, she obviously had a smartphone so it came up on, on her smartphone it wasn't a block number it was a 0044 number so I checked what is the country code for 0044 and that particular phone call originated from Germany which we don't I don't know if that's the first that we've had scam calls but they, they can come from anywhere because yesterday I had a phone call actually while I was on air my phone was it's here but obviously it's switched on silent and I noticed it was ringing and I looked over and it was from Spain and I just said well I don't have anybody in Spain at the moment so I'm not answering that oh, I wasn't going to answer it when I was on air it did ring for quite a few rings I thought it was one of those scams and they wanted me to ring back and obviously I didn't ring it back but when I checked the number afterwards the the, the the number they'd used in Spain, it was rerouting a call through Spain. So I don't know whether with Nora, somebody had rerouted a call through Germany. They seem to be able to reroute calls now to make it look like they're coming from another country as well. Because I think people got suspicious when a lot of them were turning up from African countries are from South American countries, people straight away were new straight away that it was scams. So I think maybe they're, they're starting to reroute them to a European countries to try and get people more sucked in into believing that they are genuine so you do need to be very very careful and stay on scams because Christy was on to me earlier this is Christy one of our regular listeners from from Temple Glantine to say Patricia I received a message and I'm wondering is it a scam it says congratulations Christopher our records show that you now qualify for free annual travel insurance with Ompost insurance to avail of this free offer click here. Now when I saw that text I was straight away thinking uh, first of all are you a customer with on post insurance and if you are because we're all now so careful about scams that sometimes what is a genuine offer we might not go near the genuine offer because we think it's it's a scam. So I was about to ask say to Christopher you know are you a do you have your insurance with um, um, post insurance? And my next one to Christy was going to be, my advice to you now uh, is contact them. Anyway, before I got a chance to do that, Christy has been back on to say, Patricia, I tried calling on post, but I couldn't get through. I was put on hold. It obviously is a scam. I just want to warn other listeners. So just be uh, careful. But with any of those, because I, I, because Christopher, I don't, or Chris, Christy, I don't know if you are a customer of on post insurance or not. But if you are, say, because scam artists can sometimes, say, you know, they send out tens of thousands 
banking on that even if 1% are actually genuine customers, they might get uh, sucked in. So we know that we do that. But just in case that it was a genuine offer, I always say to people, you don't, you certainly don't click on the link that's sent to you by the text message or by the email. You certainly don't ring a telephone number that's put on a text message or, or an email. You go and get the number you would normally contact that company at and call them and give them the details and they'll let you know straight away if it's a scam or not. 1850 C103 Jobs. Sign department in Mallow Printing Works. They're looking for a part-time operative three days per week. It's for finishing all signage and vehicle graphics. Part-time sales administrator wanted. That's for Cork and Little Island. While accounts administrator is wanted, you must have Sage Line 50 income tax, VAT, PYE and payroll experience. And full and part-time experienced fast food assistants wanted for a busy takeaway in Bantam. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go. Shortcastle Street, Mallow. Smokeless coal, turf, gas and kiln-dried wood. Open late seven days. Lowcostfuel.ie. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, on Monday's programme, when I was off, John Paul mentioned that Mary, one of our listeners from Mitchellstown, was looking for advice on how to source a good wig. As sadly, she's losing her hair due to a medical condition. Fiona O'Reardon from the Wig Clinic in Cork and Mallow contacted the programme and I'm delighted to say Fiona now joins me. Good morning to you, Fiona. Good morning, Patricia. And Thanks very much for having me on. Well, listen, and thank you for reaching out and uh, willing to offer advice because it's funny, when I mentioned that I was having an expert on to discuss wigs this morning, I think I got at least almost straight away four WhatsApps from people uh, recommending if I was talking to anyone, I should talk to the wig clinic. <laughs> so it was yourself <laughs> people were recommending. So you come highly recommended from our listeners, which is, ter- which is terrific. Now, we think of cancer patients losing their hair because of chemotherapy, Fiona, but of mm-hmm. course... That's not the only reason, is it, that people can suffer hair loss? No, I think uh, alopecia is becoming, you know, is a huge problem. Uh, also, alopecia is an autoimmune uh, condition in which the body attacks its own follicles uh, and causes hair loss. But there's a huge side of, I think, people just that have thinning hair. Uh, and the causes of that can be from illness or emotional trauma, uh, thyroid disease or iron deficiencies. And I think these people are very slow to come forward because they nearly feel um, like they're apologising because they've no known, known illness for hair loss. I know, I know. Uh, and and know, how and devastating can it be for someone? And, 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 and I'm not being sexist, but I'm assuming for us women, it's like our crown and, and, jo- and glory. How devastating exactly. can it be for women to lose their hair? I suppose uh, people see their hair as their identity, yeah. uh, no matter what age they are. And it's a woman identifies it as being feminine or attractive. And, you know, it's devastating for, the, for their self-esteem when, when they start losing it, as much so as they can maybe stop doing their daily activities and stuff. You know, it has a huge effect no matter what age they are. And would you predominantly work with cancer patients? Um, it's nearly gone, Patricia, actually, over the years. Like, I've been doing this 12 years now. And when we started off, it would have been about 80% uh, induced hair loss, which would be from chemotherapy or radiotherapy. But it's gone nearly, there's nearly 40% now of hair loss is due to alopecia wow. or thinning hair. So and, it's and actually 
decreasing quite a lot. And the one thing with the, 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 the people who lose their hair with the chemotherapy, um, please God, their hair grows back, doesn't it, when, when the treatment ends? It does. Yeah. Uh, it goes back kind of within six weeks. It does be, it? Like, begin to go about six weeks after it. Well, well, but for yeah. someone with alopecia... There's different forms, I suppose, of alopecia, Patricia, that people mightn't be aware of. Um, there's three like forms of this alopecia errata where they might have little patches, and it doesn't go any further than that. And then they can go. There can be a, a, an alopecia type that has full hair loss, and then there's a type that has complete body and and hair and head hair loss. Uh, so people don't maybe even realise the stages of it, and they don't know. There's no guarantee that it will come back once it goes, which is probably a lot harder for them. Yeah, and, and and for young women uh, and and men as well, but it's for young women, um, dreadful, dreadful. So how how do you go about selecting the right wig? Okay, so what we do, I suppose, the procedure we do is that someone rings us and we try to put them at ease straight away on the phone. Uh, we book them in for a free consultation in a private room where we do a one to one consultation with one of our stylists. Now we hold a very very large stock in our clinic in Cork. Uh, where we try on a load, a lot of different pieces and different colours and different styles and we help them choose the right piece for them. Uh, and at that stage, we'd always say bring someone with them because they're only meeting us for the first time as well and they're very vulnerable when they come. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we'd help them choose. I suppose we'd have the, the expertise in them coming to us to choose the piece with them and for them. And do you believe there's a wig for everybody? Everybody. Is probably... That- it's probably gone to the stage now where someone comes in and they probably want three of them. That they <laughs> can't probably, you know, it's gone that good really. I suppose years ago, there was such little choice. The reason I went into it was that there was nothing really out there. But today they're gone so realistic. Uh, people just can't believe it, I suppose, when they do come in and see the choice they have. Are they are they comfortable to wear? They, they've, they've gotten a lot more comfortable and they've gone a lot lighter. I mean, yeah. we have selection of hair pieces that, that don't even wear, they don't even weigh an ounce and they're that light to wear and they're completely vented for the scalp to breathe through them. Because um, that used to be the criticism, wasn't it, of the older wigs? People used to say, was, my head is on fire with the wig, it's the it heat was, of it. It was, it was probably way too much hair on them yeah. and they weren't vented. But today they've come on so much. Uh, there's, there's a huge difference with them today, to be fair. Um, and not everyone goes then for uh, a full week. There's people, like you, you, you were saying, people are ringing and they have thinning hair and they probably don't know what to do. Um, there's now, they're called enhancers, where they're a top piece that can be customised to fit, to, to suit, that uh, we fit them and integrate them into their own hair. Wow. Well, um, and you wouldn't, you'd never know. They still have their own hair showing, and this piece is is tipped into the top of their hair and integrates in. And they've they've just gone very, very popular for people with just thinning hair as well. And when someone comes in for a wig, it, I mean, do you suggest that you go with the natural hair colour, or can people, people like I'm dark I and and I fancy myself as a platinum blonde? Uh, I yeah. mean, you, you know, do, do people go completely the other end of the scale? I think people who are going to chemotherapy stick to what they have because I feel they, they think they've enough change going on in their lives at the moment. I think alopecia clients do go for the highlight look and stuff like that because you're not going to have a regrowth and you're not going to have to do your hair again. Yeah. You know, that kind of way. So they do tend to go for lighter colours um, more so than a chemotherapy client coming in. Are wigs expensive? Uh, there's a range of them, Patricia. There are uh, human hair wigs have gone more expensive because the uh, the hair ex- 
the, the hair extension market is taking a lot of the human hair and it's actually pushing up the price of them. So, you know, something called Prime, which is a mix of synthetic and human hair, which is a lot cheaper. They'd be maybe about 850 or they're still expensive. Yeah. But you're getting a lot for your money with them. And but how long, how long would that last for? A good year. Oh, would it? Okay. Okay. A good year. Um, now, for alopecia clients that have a medical card, they do get a grant uh, available for uh, €450 Euro per annum. Uh, and like health insurance for people on, on chemotherapy do get their hair pieces fully covered as oh, well. Oh dear, that good. That's, that's, that, yeah, that is so good. Yeah, so And is there, there, when you say they last a year, is there a lot of care in looking after with, the wig? With the human and the prime, there would be more care than the synthetic. And um, they do need to be washed and blow dried. Um, but that, we, we, we offer that aftercare service for them as well. Um, a synthetic piece is still probably the most popular, um, Patricia, because you wash it and you leave it dry naturally and it has a built-in memory to dry back into the same style again. Yes. So there's little or no maintenance with them. Tim is pointing out that Elton John, Marty Whelan and Wayne Rooney, Wayne Rooney all face the same issue. There are many men, uh, many males are, are skinhead uh, by choice, but the men lose their, and absolutely men use their hair as well. Would you have males attend? Quite a, there's a lot, there's definitely an increase in males Is in there? the last 12 months. Yeah, absolutely. Um, older men more, in particular on chemotherapy, um, that are losing their hair, find it as dramatic as a woman would. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. And for the cancer patients, uh, Fiona, I've, I imagine a very emotional experience, is it, coming into having to It is because I think the they're only, we get a lot of tears um, because I think they're only very uh, recently diagnosed yeah. and they would be put, told to come to us before they ever start their treatment to have their hair piece in place. Um, and there are a lot of tears um, and it's sad. But the, I suppose the other side of that is that we try our best to enable them to live their lives as normal as possible at a very difficult time and getting them the right piece so they can still feel confident. Well done. Well done. Well, well. people yeah. are, um, I, I can see from some of our WhatsApps coming in, uh, people saying that, that you, somebody said a lovely thing, uh, sending in details at the Wig uh, Clinic. This company are simply the best. That's uh, Georgian and Bantry sent that on. Thank you for that, um, uh, Georgian. Uh, so, you, 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 as I say, you've come highly recommended, which is terrific. How, uh, obviously, it's by appointments. Uh, people make appointments, uh, appointments uh, with you. Yeah, it's it's we 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 do advertise by appointment only because we like only one person to be in the clinic at a time to okay. give them their privacy and for confidentiality. Uh, that's not being if there was a day that you felt like coming up, um, we'd always probably have something free in the day that we would we would be able to fit someone in at a last minute or an emergency appointment as well. Okay, so you so where can people and you operating in Cork and in Mallow. We're actually in Cork, Mallow, Killarney, uh, Limerick and Tralee. Oh. Uh, we partnered with Boots Pharmacy um, 10 years ago and we run our clinics through Boots Pharmacy in Killarney and also in Limerick. Um, and those clinics are operated one day a week. Um, and we found a lot of people were coming up from Limerick, from Clare, from Tipperary, up to Cork. So we decided to bring our clinic to them. Um, one day a week, which has worked out to be well very done. successful. Well yeah, done. Yeah. So how can people contact you, Fiona? Uh, they can contact us on uh, the course number, which is 021-4318-468 uh, or 86 
and that's the number for all of those clinics. So that would be the head office, and that's where the appointments will be made from. Okay, and you can simply get, um, Google the week clinic uh, as yeah. well, and it pops up. Listen, uh, Fiona, you've been a mine of information, and we appreciate you taking time out to talk to us. Thank you for that, and uh, so keep continue good luck with the great work that you're doing because it, it is fantastic work. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Patricia. Thanks bye bye. Bye bye. That is a lovely lady. That is Fiona O'Reardon of the Week Clinic. Um, as I say, that came up on our came on our radar because uh, Mary had contacted us, and uh, it can be so so upsetting to be faced with that the loss of your hair. Help is available. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. Someone else on scams said I got a number yesterday from a three five three seven one nine number. Says John, I simply didn't answer it. And that's the best piece of advice. And if you have one of those smartphones and can block it as well. It does sort of lessen some of the calls that you uh, you were receiving. Court today on C103. With a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go. Shortcastle Street, Mallow. Open seven days for smokeless coal, turf, kiln-dried wood and gas. Lowcostfuel.ie Hi, it's Simon back tomorrow morning with more on how you could get yourself to New York to see Billy Joel live. Now, who would you take with you? Hop that face bus, keep it quiet. <laughs> it's the only way I get out of the house. More on that amazing competition tomorrow morning. I've got over €1,400 Euro in cash for you to win and I promise to wake you up with only Cork's greatest hits. See you tomorrow back at 6. See Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 103. Now, a man who left Mallow at a very young age and ended up becoming a famous painter in Canada in the 1800s could be honoured in his hometown. To chat to us about Paul Kane, who was born in Mallow on September 3rd, 1810. I'm joined in studio by Kevin Myers of the Mallow Field Club. Good morning to you, Kevin. Good morning. Uh, and you are very welcome. Now, Paul Kane emigrated with his family to Canada when he was 10. So tell us what is known at this stage about the family and why they would have left. Well, Paul Kane was born in 1810, as you say, in, in Mallow. We'll come back to where in a minute. Um, and yeah, his father was an army man. And uh, his father was from Lancashire, but he, he married a Mallow woman, Loach. Her name was Frances Loach. And um, so they, they obviously were living here pre the turn of the century and up to about 1820, at which point they decided to emigrate. That wasn't terribly unusual. Um, um, did they have the more time. children? They did. There was eight in family in all. One died in infancy, but the other seven survived, I believe. Okay. So... Um, but the the father Michael Kane, and they were spelt variously K A N E or C A I N. Um, they decided to emigrate. They went to Canada. He became a wine and spirit merchant in what was then called York, then became Toronto, and that became Paul's home place. Okay, and they would he would have been finished in the army. Is that why they would have decided to emigrate? It looks as if he was finished in the army already okay. at that stage. Yeah, so yeah. he wouldn't have there wouldn't have been much work around for him. Probably, probably not. Even chance of a good new life at that stage. You were heading into the final showdown with Napoleon in Waterloo. Yeah, <laughs> he obviously yeah. opted out. Yeah, and um, and married to um, now you you haven't been able to pinpoint where you reckon the Keynes lived. Where was the family home? 
that's correct. We haven't been able to pinpoint where they lived. At eighteen, at the beginning of the 19th century, this was 1810, uh, a mapping and and residential details of, of towns and Mallow in particular was scant. Yeah. And it has been impossible to date uh, to pinpoint. Now, there is a, what we call an old ground sketch of the town which we think was generated around 1800. Uh, uh, This is just a kind of a pen and ink sketch of the town showing residents up and down the main street and in the lanes adjoining and so on. And there is what looks like a William Kane and there is also a a Kane, a -A C-A-I-N, and two or three of the committee actually in the Malafield Club are looking into that to and see William, whether we can William actually was pinpoint the dad. but it would be difficult. Was William no, the, the father was, the, the, the dad was Michael. Was Michael, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're not giving up on it yet. No, we're done. Baptismal records? In the, in the St. James or in e- Church of Ireland yeah. but of course at the time St. James's Church was not there uh, nor was St. Mary's Catholic Church but um, he was, yeah, he was baptised uh, K-A-N-E Kane. Kane, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, so what do we know? That oh, that Loach, the mother's name. Yeah, is it's a very is, unusual name. That's a, I was just. I, are there any Loaches in town? None. No, None. No, no. No. It's a. It's a very unusual name. Again, could it be a corruption of Roach? I was. That was we, my, I was going to be my next question. Is, uh, was it Roach? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because Roach would know. be a popular yeah. name. Oh, highly. Yeah. Yeah. Course, yeah. yeah. Do yeah. we know then? So, so they went to Canada. So, so, what do we know about their life in Canada? That at a very young age, Paul exhibited um, a, a, a talent for for drawing and painting, and he was lucky in that that talent was developed by interested people, teachers, interested parties. His family were supportive, uh, and at a young age, again, he returned to Europe with a group, and he managed to get some great um, uh, insights into European painting art schools in on the continent, in Italy in particular, and. Um, that that experience was to influence his style of painting over many years to come. So he, he as I say, by the time he was in, into his 20s, he was working as a portrait painter. That time, portrait was, painting obviously was, you know, it was yeah. bread and butter stuff yeah. and doing quite well at that. But he became, he became fascinated by the uh, life and lifestyle of the native Indians in Canada, in particular in the Rockies and west of Toronto and west of the Great Lakes. And that's where he really was to make his mark. And his paintings really are like a snapshot in time because this would have been before photography. That is correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. it's it's detailing history, isn't it? You see, that's why he's so revered in Canada. It's not just that he was a painter and a good one, which he was, yeah. but he also was an explorer. Uh, he kept his diaries and um, ended up, he wrote uh, The Wanderings of an Artist Among the Indians of North America. He published that in 1859. That became a very famous book. And the the combined work, both visually and in writing by him over a long number of years, I mean, he died in, in 1871, but he, he had been, uh, unfortunately, going blind for a number ah. of years before that. And uh, in any event, the combined work of his writing, his painting, his sketching, um, it has contributed a huge amount to what was, uh, say, pre-Westernisation of many parts of Canada. And he, therefore, his work became highly, highly valued. And it still is very, very valuable. I was just, I was, how, how valuable are his paintings? 
Oh, they 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 turned out to be extremely valuable. Even though he 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 was um, prolific in what in what he painted, he 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 uh, on one of his he went on two major expeditions uh, during that actually was during the famine years, eighteen forty five, eighteen forty six, around that time, and um, he he returned with something like seven hundred sketches. Some of them completed, some of them uh, that he com- made made. Um, should we say proper oil paintings out of uh, yeah. uh, in his own studio then so he he's he he had a quite a number of of paintings uh and they became over time they have become very valuable and uh, where would they be are they in museums and art galleries in are, in, um, in canada there's a, a, a I can't think of the name of the gallery in toronto have a number of his works and the yeah. national gallery uh, in is it ottawa um that at one stage acquired 11 of them I think one was destroyed in a fire, that, uh. but there still is there's still quite a number of them around. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so tell us what at the field club what you'd like to do if in an ideal world how would you like to see him remembered in Mallow? Well, um, for quite a number of years, uh, for quite a number of years, actually, the field club originally wrote about about Paul Kane in. Uh, our annual journal in 1991, which is almost 30 years ago, okay. and um, an article was written by John Capelis that year about Paul Kane, and uh, ever since we have been saying, as the years were, I'm saying, you know, something should be done, something yeah. should be done. Um, but being a small voluntary club, we find ourselves tumbling from uh, a fair amount of lecture and outing activity into the field during the year. We then produce this journal. Um, towards the end of the year and we find that uh, time marches on but one of the things that we've often felt was that it was important that we find some way of co- um, commemorating or of remembering his his uh, legacy uh, and we had an opportunity recently to make a submission to the county council as you probably know submissions were invited for the along the lines of the development of Malacastle grounds, yeah. we took the opportunity to make a submission to the county council um, about the use of the future use of the castle. Now we realise that that is very far down the line yeah. in terms of the development of the the entire complex down there. And part of that submission we suggested would be that there would be a space, a room allocated. There would be what a, a perfect that, setting. Why not? Why not acquire what we now know is that there are high quality reproductions of his paintings yeah. available, and um, why not acquire a, a have a room in Mallow Castle? Yeah. Oh, wouldn't that be fantastic? It would be great. Yeah, and what be, reaction yeah. are you getting from the council? Well, we've only recently made the submission, oh, so right, we're, okay. <laughs> we're waiting. But feedback. he's but 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 Paul uh, Kane is very fondly remembered in Canada. Oh, hugely, yeah. hugely. Oh, yeah. they, they, I mean, and the, the anniversary of his death, uh, there was, uh, which was what, 1971. Actually, tomorrow, he died on the 20th of February in 1871. In 19 so he, he was only 61 when he died. That's probably all, yeah. 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 So yeah. a young enough man. Well, he was certainly young, today, yeah. in today's terms. Yeah. Did he marry? Did he have children? Indeed, he did. He had, he, he married, I uh, can't think of her name with I think she wasn't of Irish descent. I think, yeah, and, and um, had four children. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but never came back to Mallow, obviously. Well, never, never came back to no, Ireland. No, no, no record it's, of it's, going it's, back it's to Mallow. It's his no. mother you would think of with her, you know, yeah. a, Ma- a Mallow woman, and yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. 
yeah. They went away in those times and I mean at least he, he got to travel back to Europe which have, would have been unusual in its It was time. quite unusual, yeah. They must have, the, the the wine and spirits business that his father started up must have turned out to be fairly profitable. <laughs> so There's money in wine and spirits, Kevin. Uh, Listen, yeah. it's a fascinating story. Keep us updated. It, uh, it's, uh, I, I think the perfect fit would be the, the castle but it's uh, it's terrific that uh, he gets that he gets remembered. I think it's important that, that we remember oh, him it is, well. you know, and we're, we're beavering away at this type of thing year in year well out done. I mean we as you probably are aware we still have uh, we had this year our journal number 37 is it 37 uh, 37 years of it yeah well so done. I actually well brought you a copy did um, you you're so very kind <laughs> you are yeah. very kind yeah. listen the pleasure as always uh, Kevin thank you for that and as I say keep us updated on Will what's do. happening with, uh, yeah. with Paul Kane. but thanks for joining us that is uh, Kevin Myers of the Mallow Field Club we're going to take a break we have news at uh, 12 midday on the way Court today on C103 with a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go Shortcastle Street Mallow call and collect or get seven-day delivery for those cosy nights in lowcostfuel.ie Hello, this is Eric Griffin. Join me Monday to Friday between 7 and 8 for some great songs on C103 Anthems. And then... Hello, this is Declan Ernie here. Hello, this is Sean Keane. Hello, this is Cathy Durkin. Hi, this is Louise Morrissey. Hi, this is Mick Flavin. Hello, this is Daniel O'Donnell here and you're listening to Country and Irish with Eric Griffin on C103. Don't miss Anthems at 7 and the very best of Country and Irish from 8. Right here on C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Well, it's time for you to call us now because all this week we've got a great competition in association with Atkins and Husqvarna. Atkins, Carrigrahan Road, everything for the farm and a garden. And they have given us a daily prize of a set of Husqvarna hearing protection. They're headphones, but they come with a built-in FM radio. Uh, so when you're out and about doing your job and you're protecting your hearing, you can listen to C103 at the same time. And Husqvarna and Atkins are running... Uh, Husqvarna Autumn Moor Information Evening and it's been held this night week in the Oriel House Hotel in Ballincollig at half past seven. Now admission is going to be free on the night and actually this night week one of the people that attend that information night will be walking away with a free Husqvarna also more. So this week, every day we play a line of a song with the last couple of words mowed off and you have to tell us what are the last couple of words that are missing from this song. Okay, if you can work out, I'll, I'll let the lawnmower go. If you can work out one of the last couple of words on that song, it is a well-known Queen song. If you know what it is, I need you to get dialing now, 1850-333-103 and call a number nine to get through to John Paul with the correct answer. will win today's Husqvarna hearing products with protection with the built-in FM radio and our thanks to Atkins on the Carrigohan Road and Husqvarna for this terrific prize. So while we are waiting for our winner's name there, let me go back to huge amount of commentary coming in, particularly on my piece with Fiona, the lovely Fiona from the Wig Clinic, talking about wigs and why people need wigs and the difference a wig can make. And there was a lovely text in from someone who doesn't want me to read out their name, which is fine. One of our lovely female listeners to say, hi, Patricia, I suffer from balding alopecia. I am wearing a wig that cost me €850, which I can ill afford, but I just can't go out into the public domain without my wig. I am so ashamed for anyone to see me without it as I look like two completely different people with and without 
the wig. I've gained so much confidence since I started wearing the wig, which did take a lot of getting used to. My point is, even though I do have private health insurance, they will only help out if you are a chemotherapy patient. I found €850 was pretty expensive, as I can ill afford same, and it did cause a huge strain on the family budget. I think something necessary under medical supervision uh, should be financially supported. And I 100% agree with you on so many different issues that you raise in your text. I would 100% understand what you mean by not being able to go out into the public without, without a wig. I think if I ever lost my hair, I would be the very same. I wouldn't be able to open the front door, I imagine, without my wig. And there will be a lot of other females who will absolutely identify with you uh, on that. So that's absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. And yes, €850 Euro is uh, a, lot, a lot of money. And as Fiona explained, uh, if you are unfortunate to lose your hair because you are suffering from chemotherapy, then you can get your, your wigs for free. But I do think the whole alopecia and needs to be looked at and there needs to be some sort of financial support uh, given but uh, good to know that you got sorted out with your, your wig and long may you continue to have that confidence that you have at the moment. And someone says Hi, is it possible to get a wig for a woman on long term dialysis or her hair thinning is constant? Well absolutely, it is possible to get a wig but as with the previous texture, because of the reason why this person needs the wig. It's going to cost uh, €850. Euro. That's how much wigs cost uh, today. But listening to Fiona, uh, which was saying now over 40% of people who come in to her clinics, which are dotted across the south of Ireland, that so many of them now are not cancer patients. And when she started the business 12 years ago, it was predominantly people on chemotherapy, but that's not the case today. So many people are going to get wigs and to get hair pieces because they're losing their hair for other different medical and non-medical uh, reasons. So yes, it is possible if she wants to, if you're, I don't know who it is, a family member or your friend wants to contact the wig clinic. And here's a lovely text in from Lucy. I, I lost my hair four times through a chemotherapy and generally I'm quite happy to embrace the bald look, but it's always nice to have the options. If you want to to look a bit glamorous and you just don't feel like facing the world with a visible illness. I've used the wig clinic in the past for a wig and for bandanas and scarves. They are brilliant, says uh, Lucy. Thank you for that. And that's just a sample of people who have recommended Fiona and the guys and gals at the wig clinic who everyone speaks so highly of them. So so that is great uh, to hear. And absolutely, I can hear what you're saying, uh, you know, Lots of people rock that ball look and it's, and it's great The people that give you a nice shaped head and you've got a really good looking face. You can, you know, I mean, look, Sinead O'Connor did it, did it for years by her own choosing uh, to shave off her hair. But I, I had a friend of mine, sadly, uh, no longer uh, with us, but when she was going through the whole chemo treatment and uh, losing her hair and she was beautiful, a beautiful, beautiful girl and uh, she didn't need, she could go out without, without a wig and without a bandana, without a hat. It didn't matter because she was just just stunningly beautiful um, but she had a wig uh, as well or, or she had lots of hats and scarves and, and but there was days for that ver- as Lucy put it for those days where she just didn't want people and the sympathy look and, and people are well meaning when they would give her the sympathy look and I noticed when I was when I was out with her uh, she lived over in England and when I'd go visit her she came came visiting me when we would go out anywhere in, in public and she didn't have her wig on there was that knowing look oh god you know 
people smiling over and, and in, a, in a nice in a nice way but she it used to sicken her at times she'd go why can't I just go around without anybody staring at me and then the difference when she'd have a hat on or she'd have her wig on and, and people walk by her and didn't, didn't give her a second look so I absolutely can understand why you feel the need to have the wig it's, it's absolutely to have the options and someone else this is a male Tim says hi my maternal grandfather began to lose his hair at 25 and then his son who would have been my uncle started to lose his hair at uh, 22 and then I started losing mine at 25 so yeah I mean absolutely and and I hope in any way that I wasn't excluding men from my conversation with Fiona today But and she does say that she, she has a proportion of men come but in the main it is women seem to get more affected by the loss of hair be it through chemo or be it from hereditary or alopecia or, or whatever. It's somebody else with a kidney dialysis. People use it for a whole host of, of different reasons. But yes, I absolutely accept that men can equally get as upset. But today we were just, I happened to be touching on women uh, more than men. But yes, absolutely men uh, lose their hair as well. OK, you can stop calling us please on our competition for Atkins and Husqvarna and our Husqvarna hearing protection with built-in FM radio today is going to Margaret Collins the Square in Dumbamwe. Congratulations to you Margaret. It's Margaret Collins the Square in Dumbamwe. Stop calling us. Uh, We'll have another set of these hearing protection headphones to give away tomorrow Thursday in the final set on uh, Friday thanks to Atkins Carrickerhan Road everything for the farm and a garden and we want to free up the lines by the way if you have a gardening question because Peter Dowdell our gardening expert uh, will be joining us in uh, a couple of minutes on the programme so if you have a gardening question for Peter you can get it in by calling John Paul at 1850 333 103 or you can text to 0872 103 103. Let me look at other issues that are coming in on the formation of a government and also on Jim Daly who is still even though he's no longer a TD but he is still while we're in this hiatus at the moment where we don't have a government the old government is still in place and that the ministers all remain holding on to their positions so he's still the Minister with Responsibility for Mental Health that's why we had him on the programme today but he is no longer at TD and I got him to give us his thoughts on what's going to happen from here with the government and also his thoughts on what happened with the Fine Gael uh, party anyway number of people on about that and about the formation of a new government. Let me bring you some of the texts and calls in. Vincent in Newmarket. Uh, Jim Daly really believes that he and his party did well in government. Well, there's thousands waiting for hospital placements. There's many more thousands without a home and then people who cannot go out to work and stay at home because they can't afford childcare and it's easier for them to stay at home but many of those would prefer to work. We have a childcare crisis. Dan says, with all the talk about Sinn Féin and Fianna Fáil, a former minister and Thánaiste by the name of Frank Aiken was originally with Sinn Féin but was the founder of the Fianna Fáil party so both are not far away from each other. Yeah, well it was civil war politics wasn't it? They, but they, both Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael originally came out of Sinn Féin. Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael came out of Sinn Féin. Civil war politics split them up and, and they ended up as two uh, separate parties. Uh, Donal in the city said it's maddening to see the likes of Minister for Transport Shane Ross. He lost his seat in the last election and yet he stays in place as the acting transport minister until a new government is formed. He didn't even get re-elected. I feel he should be gone. It's so frustrating. And Donald in the city, not a fan of Shane Ross as he feels he ruined rural Ireland. Dennis and Glanmire said to hear Jim coming out saying things about the last government and how good the last government were. This is the last government included Michael Creed 
Reid as Minister for Agriculture who wouldn't talk to farmers at one stage. We have people on waiting lists for mental health services. We've got hospital crises. The man seems to be living in a different world considering what has happened over the last four years of this of the last government. The reason people didn't vote for Fianna Gael in the election is because husbands and wives are working and at the end of the month they're still minus when they have all of their bills paid for. Some of your texts coming in on the election. Leave that one for a sec uh, on housing because it's a separate issue. Come on now, Jib. It was your own policies that got you out of government. Please don't be blaming Sinn Féin for it. That's from Pat. Uh, Frank was critical of us while we had Jim Daly on the programme uh, today. He says Michael Collins and others have taken 50 bus coaches to Belfast to help people get cataract operations they are the TDs doing something on the ground. Tim says the doll is only the beginning. This is if Sinn Féin get into power. We don't know who Mary Lou's choice for Attorney General would be, our Chief State Solicitor, our Director of Public Prosecutions, or if she and her party would want to change the Garda Commissioner. I would suggest, said Tim, that she gets to meet Boris Johnson and Donald Trump. She needs to do that officially first and I don't know where Tim is coming from on that. And with Mary Lou, somebody said, I'm just curious, Patricia, does Mary Lou MacDonald have a family? She does. She's married with two children. I don't know what age the children are. But I know one of her children is Isolt, Isolt, and she has a son, uh, Gerald, and she is married to Martin Lanigan. So yeah, married with two kids. I don't know why you're curious about that, but yes, she is. She is a, she has a family as well. Uh, Hi, Patricia. What a mess we're in at the moment. The only answer to this current impasse is surely to call another general election. Sinn Féin then would have to be the party to put up enough candidates so once and for all they could get a majority and run the country and that comes from Finbar in Bantry. 1850 uh, John Paul, taking your calls if you would like to text or WhatsApp please do 0862103103 with a reminder in particular we are looking for your gardening questions for Peter please The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit corkcoco.ie Blood Transfusion Board They're holding donor clinics in the West Cork Hotel in Skibbereen They're on this afternoon 3 to 5 and again tonight between 7 and 9 A senior social will be held in Donorell Golf Club on next Sunday Sunday the 23rd of February from half two until six. Places are limited so please book your place by calling Margaret at 87 Canturk's Vincent's shop they're holding a two euro sale it's on tomorrow Thursday Friday and Saturday where everything in the shop will cost two euro and under Mallow Daffodil Today Committee they've got a table quiz going on in Albert Lynch's bar in Mallow uh, tomorrow night, Thursday, half past eight. Tables of four, please. All proceeds going to Marymount Hospice. And the Kinsale Girl Guides are hosting a mid-term coffee morning and bake sale in the Temperance Hall in Kinsale on this Friday. It's a four euro entrance fee, which gets you your tea, your coffee and a scone. Children are free and there will be a bake sale, raffle and activities to keep everybody busy. Proceeds are going towards their trip to the Guiding World World Conference 
which is happening or is that World Centre? It's happening in Switzerland this summer so they're trying to raise money for that uh, trip. And a fundraising bingo in aid of the Friends of McCroom and Damanway Hospital will be held in the Inchigila Hall on a Friday night with a half past eight start. Cork today on C103 with a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go. Shortcastle Street, Mallow. Smokeless coal, turf, gas and kiln dried wood. Open late seven days. Lowcostfuel.ie When we were talking about post offices earlier and how important the post office service is and how the postmasters themselves are looking to the government, looking to the state to put more services into local post offices, which obviously will make them it will secure their future going forward if there was more services available. Dan says he needed to get his driver's licence renewed this week. So he said instead of the usual, when you live in rural Ireland, you have to get in the car and drive up to the city to do anything. He said because it's a driver's licence, he was able to go. He lives in Ballinhasic. He was able to go to Skibbereen to get his new driver's licence. He, he drove to Skibbereen, parked up, said he was in and out in 10 minutes. He says if they gave more services like that to the post office, things like motor tax for for example, he said it would enhance the post office and it would save the future of the post office as he reckons it would even create jobs. We need to have more services available to us in rural areas and if we can use the post office then surely that is the way to uh, go. Actually that new system for the driver's licence is terrific. It is really, it operates so well and it's so efficiently done you, you know, you book your time, you go in and I know they've got a walk-in service as well. It's it's great. I've heard n- nothing but high praise. And I know when I went along myself to get my driver's licence renewed a couple of years ago, I couldn't. I was blown away by it. It really is great. OK, Esther joins me, who is losing patience, I'm told. Good afternoon to Esther. Good afternoon, Patricia. You're, you're in, you're in Kilcolly. You're a patient woman. Tell us what's going on. I'm a patient woman. <laughs> Thanks so much. Um, this is like therapy now ringing because I'm, I'm nearly demented. <laughs> Um, I've, we have no internet or no internet first for the last week and then our, our phone went off the, the following day after the internet so we allowed to complain well first I allowed uh, the fault first but they wouldn't I, I go back to the beginning they wouldn't take my um, my complaint because I wasn't on the bill hold on the bill pay my husband is the bill payer we're right? with air isn't it you're air we're with air yeah. so obviously they couldn't even with the fault they could not um take my complaint so when my husband came into work he tried to get to get onto them and he was ages and he had to go back out to work so eventually he did get on and my name is on it now with my husband but they but my point is first of all is that if it, if there's a fault in the house and if you're if you're not on the bill pay that you should be able to lock a fault if you have a fault with the ESB. Absolutely. If you have a power cut, you can ring and you just give them your account number. Absolutely. It's, rid- it, it's is, so frustrating it, and, not, a rid- and a ridiculous rule. It is, because data protection, it shouldn't apply to that. You know what yeah. I mean? So, but then it's not only that, it's just like they kind of fog you off saying we're experiencing difficulties with the weather and all that. So you're inclined to say, oh my God, maybe they're fixing mine, the weather is against us and all that. So in the meantime, I couldn't get through. I was on for 30 minutes the first day. And then the second day, my husband got onto them eventually, I think after three quarters of an hour. So the complaint was in. So we we did, or the fault, sorry, was lodged. So we did get an odd, a random text saying that your fault is under investigation. So I tried this morning from half 11 until... Um, uh, three quarters of an hour over three quarters of an hour I think it was 52 minutes I had my phone and speaker I had to turn the radio down and 
I think at that stage they weren't going to answer me at all anyway. So like it's just it's just impossible to And answer. you're you're on hold with them saying, Please hold, your call is important. Please hold and I yeah. there was about seven messages saying saying if you wanted to um record the match the the, the boxing match oh, with call this number. This kept coming on every few minutes. Apart from the music, like it nearly. Yeah. So you're you're with, you're without a landline. No landline. And no internet. I've only my mobile ringing you on my mobile. Yeah. And there was an engineer, um, a technical engineer, called the other day, and I was so excited to see him. And I said, "Oh, thank God, you're coming in to fix my phone." He said, "I'm not." He was looking for another name down the road. Oh, oh. So he couldn't come in. So, so that was going to be my next question: Are there many others without a phone in your area? I didn't hear if anybody did. I checked. I checked. Uh, my neighbour, she's okay. Okay, all right. Was this? Would this? Would the initial problem have been Storm Kira? Would it have been before no, Dennis? No. Well, you see, well, it was before Storm Dennis. I had a problem anyway. Yeah. The internet went, and the technician did come out, and he fixed it. Do you know what I mean? After it's three to five working days, so it was the, the fourth day they came out. But if you if you think back, and it's now that was only two weeks ago. And then our internet is gone again. But yeah. in the meantime, I'm paying the bill. I'm yeah. paying the bill for all that loss of usage. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, that, that, that is. Like, that's but annoying. But they're just, their customer service is just... And have you it. had problems before with Air? Or is it is it just purely my down main, to... My, the, the main problem is not so much the getting something fixed. The main problem I find is getting through to them. Yeah. It's yeah. like you, you shouldn't be on hold for that length of time. No, no, absolutely. And you just, you get so annoyed. And then by the time somebody does come on to you, you nearly, you nearly want to take the head off the person and it's not there for us. They you obviously, do. they either do. don't either. have an, they either don't have I, enough I, I, staff. I nearly locked the technician in, I, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, you're not allowed to do that, Esther. That's highly illegal, can I now say. <laughs> We'll, I know, sorry, we'll be it's ba- only the heat of the moment. We'll be know? baking a cake with a file for you inside in the prison. Um, okay, oh, we, we'll, I'll bake you a cake if <laughs> you get this we'll, we'll, You'll bake a cake for him and said, okay, we'll get on to air on your behalf and see if Thank we can so speed much. it up a, a little bit and uh, deep breath now and have, have a nice cuppa and relax. All right, mind yourself. Thank you, and take... I'm glad you're better now. Thank, Thank you. you. You're very kind. Yes. Bye-bye. That Thank is you. Esther Thank in Kilcully. It is frustrating. It's bad enough to be without the phone. It's bad enough to be without the internet but then when you feel nobody's listening to you you can't even get through to tell them what, what is going on but I agree with 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 Esther that I that thing of we'll only talk, talk to the bill payer drives me absolutely nuts I remember having an argument actually with with Air they were Aircom at the time and my husband's name is on the bill and I rang up for something um, something like I think it must have been some, there must have been some problem or whatever and when they said you know the account number and I gave it and then the name of the bill and, and his name came up and, and he was at work and uh, we can only sp- speak to him and I was, uh, with the bill pair I said I gotta take I said I, I do all that kind of work I do all the, the paying of the bills and make sure all the bills are paid that you're actually talking to the bill pair his name might be on it but it's because of me that you get your money every month and this person was just having none of it and I said he's not going to be home until this evening and just it was really really uh, frustrating so I suppose it is a lesson to be learned uh, for all of us when you're getting any kind of utility to put both names on it because it can cause huge problems it also can cause huge problems and I've seen this and, and we would hear about it here at the radio station when God forbid somebody passes away 
and you're trying to then get utility bills transferred over, it makes it much easier if the bills are in both person's name because then you're just ringing up to get somebody's name taken off rather than trying to, you know, get a name changed completely. Uh, but but and, and I'm open to correction, but are AIR the only ones that insist on that, that we must speak to the bill pair? Even for what Esther is saying, to log a fault, you know, you think they would take the fault from anyone because you want to get it sorted out. It's it's it is it is really beyond annoying. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Can I just go back to Father Ray for a second? Because I know I mentioned Father Ray earlier on uh, when we heard about the news. It's it's actually making the papers today that he ended up having to get the Gardaí involved because he's been receiving in particular he got a very very abusive uh, phone call and then he got a letter from somebody else saying that you like John the ba- Baptist. But remember what happened to John the ba- John the Baptist when the woman danced uh, for John the Baptist? He was. Being Beheaded, so somebody threatening to behead poor old Father Ray, and it seems he's been getting some nasty comments in on uh, by letter. People are writing to him and saying nasty things, but over the phone as well. And just the the one that was particularly bad, the Dancing with the Stars people said, "Get the don't don't take that Father Ray, get the police involved." So now guys at corner are looking into it. A couple of people on about that saying, "I hope Father Ray goes all the way and wins this dancing competition, particularly after hearing what we've heard this morning. He is such a nice man. Another says, Hi Patricia, listening to the verbal attack that Father Ray witnessed, I myself would totally disagree with any such behaviour. After all, as after all, we do have the right to do what we enjoy and it's plain to see Father Ray does every Sunday night on the small screen. He really is enjoying being part of the dance competition. My question though, uh, being... What are the priests and the bishops, the other priests and the bishops saying about Father Ray and his dancing every Sunday night? As it does seem a bit extreme for a priest to be interacting in such a provocative way. And that signed a worried listener. Now, I'm at a slight loss here because I haven't seen much of this current series. I'm going to this afternoon actually spend some time because I'm sure I'll get it on YouTube. I'll get all Father Ray's, Ray's dances and, and take a look at it. But this listener, now she's not in any way wants, doesn't in any way want to attack Father Ray, but she just feels some of the dances and some of those dances when you're up close and personal doing a rumba or a tango can be provocative. And she's just worried how is that being perceived, particularly within the hierarchy in the Catholic Church? Now, I'm assuming if there was any problems, he'd have been hauled in by the bishop at this stage. I haven't heard. And certainly when he's talking today about the abuse he's received, he hasn't mentioned that he's getting any neg- negativity from the hierarchy. But do others, do others look at Father Ray and are, are others a bit uncomfortable thinking, mm, should a priest really be dancing in that way? Are others just seeing it? This is great. It's a great bit of fun. Well done to him. And he's, you know, putting forward an image of priests. Priests at the end of the day, they're human beings. And why shouldn't he be allowed to learn to dance the same as anybody else? Uh, Hi, Patricia. Glad you're back and better. Thank you. On the issue of people posting nasty comments online, bearing in mind that we've been talking about Father Ray uh, as well. There are switches on those devices. You can turn them off. We do not, we did not have these when I was going to school. We had bullies. We had to sort things out ourselves. My mum had to go up to the school on a few occasions uh, over us getting into scraps, says uh, Heidi. Oh, sorry, that's not to do with Father Ray. That's to do with the young pupils and the young children and that survey that has come out uh, showing that it's a UCC study 
studies showing 14 to 17 year olds who are being cyberbullied and that they feel they've absolutely no escape uh, from it that they you know and be, and because they've no escape from it the study showed that many of the 14 to 17 year olds who are cyberbullied that some say uh, they perceive suicide as the viable escape route for you, for the younger victims of cyberbullying, and and Heidi, I absolutely accept the point you're making that they could they can just switch it off. But when you're at that very tender age, uh, fourteen, do you think back to what we were like as teenagers? You're you're desperate to know what other people are thinking about you, and what and and I know what you're saying about bullying. You know, the bullying happened in school and all of that and, and you couldn't, well, you could try and run away from the bully, but the bully was in, in your face. But with cyberbullying, there is absolutely no escape. It is there 24-7. And while you could say to a 14-year-old who's been bullied, switch off, you know, don't read any of the comments. It's still inside in their head and they still know and they probably won't switch it off anyway. They will uh, check in with it. And it's one of the things that's always said about bullying today. It's very different to the bullying that went on when you or I, Heidi, went to school and there was the school bully who pulled your hair or said nasty things to you in the playground and that was it. But what's going on today? Oh my God, give me give me our kind of bullying any day because that can get sorted out and it does stay within the confines of the school once you go home you are you. We were completely protected from it, but that's not the way uh, it is today. And someone else said it is absolutely disgraceful what's happened with Father Ray. There were really evil people out there. Many of them are just jealous. They must have nothing else to do. Shame on them. They will suffer yet for what they're doing to poor Father Ray. And by the way, says this texter, he's very good on Dancing with the Stars. He will win it. I promise you that. It's so cruel, people out there. They will not have a day's luck for what they've done to four pot for four for to four to poor Father Ray. So it looks like our Father Ray has a lot of fans, certainly locally on Dancing with the Stars. 1850-333-103. Let's take a break and we are back getting your gardening questions answered with Peter Dowdle. Cork today on C103. With a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go. Shortcastle Street, Mallow. Open seven days for smokeless coal, turf, kiln-dried wood and gas. Lowcostfuel.ie is one of the world's most popular performers. Selling over 150 million records. With 33 top 40 hits. And 23 Grammy nominations. Now, see him live in New York VIP style. With C103. to Billy Joel in the Big Apple. Madison Square Garden on May 2nd. Stay listening to C103. Then text or WhatsApp every time Billy Joel plays. For your chance. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. 
You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. To get in the grand final. Billy Joel in the Big Apple starts Monday 24th with AmigoLoans.ie on Cork's greatest hits, C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Peter Dowdell, the IrishGardener.com joining me. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. How are you doing? I'm very good and happy New Year and, and well yeah many happy returns it's, I, I know you were on with John Paul last week when I was That's out right. but this is this yeah. is our this is our first chat you survived Christmas and New Year and, and we got through it all yeah great. I hope you're, uh, you're getting over your I got flu it. and it was horrible 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 dose and of course the gardens are got a bit of a bashing didn't they we had Storm Kira, then followed by Storm Dennis and next is Storm Emma, by all accounts. Oh, are you serious? Yes, apparently this weekend we have Storm Emma heading towards us. Goodness yeah. me. Yeah. Goodness so me. our gardens are awash, not to put too fine a point to this. There's, a, there's one or two jobs that we're working on at the moment where we just have to call a halt because you'd be doing more harm than good in the garden at the moment. So. Yeah. I mean, all you can I do mean, is, yeah. is and, and as we always say, after every major storm or any kind of a storm, take a look out at any trees that might have got damaged. Yeah, absolutely. And if there's anything vulnerable, and I think um, if there's anything vulnerable, like any branches that are loose or trees that are loose, take take action now as opposed to waiting for nature to finish the job because she won't pay as much attention to private property or houses or, or safety or anything like that. Yeah. But I always think, and I think I think uh, as all I, all us Irish people are are born optimists when it comes to the weather. We're always, I'm, but I'm thinking anyway that if we are having all this rain and bad weather now quite happy to have it in January, February, if it means that we get a a long spell. I know the Irish weather doesn't always follow logic, but we do every year, our our annual rainfall amounts tend to be very, very similar each year. It's just that sometimes they fall over the 12 months and sometimes we get a deluge in certain months. So I'm hoping that because we're getting all the rain (laughs) off the system now, (laughs) that the summer will be good. That'll be great. Fingers crossed for that. Straight into questions. Brian and Malik, could you ask Peter, please, what would be the best hardy low-growing evergreen hedge. I ideally would like it to go to about four foot. About four feet. Well, there's one lovely one, actually. It's, uh, it, and it's very hardy, and it is evergreen. It's a plant, a mouthful of a name, but it's called Eliagnus. Eliagnus compacta. So the compacta is a bit of a giveaway in that it stays quite compact. It doesn't get, like, your your normal Eliagnus abingii hedge, which I love as well. It's a great evergreen hedge. Uh, but that will get, that can easily get to six or eight feet. Whereas the compacta doesn't really get to much more than four feet, maybe five feet. So that would certainly be a good one to go for. There are others if you wanted to look at Escalonia. Uh, the problem with Escalonia is it's been suffering a lot of leaf blight in this part of the world over the last number of years. So it's quite a bit of risk, I suppose, associated with planting that. So maybe I'd, I'd steer clear of it, but it's, worth, it's one to look at. Um, 
Uh, and then the Aeliagnus compacta. There's another one then, Berberus darwinii, so which is a lovely dark green, thorny one. So just bear in mind it is thorny, which might be good or not, depending on where you want to put it. Uh, but Berberus darwinii, and there's also compacta in that, so it stays quite low as well. There's a couple. But a trip, I think, to your local garden centre to see them, it's one thing throwing the Latin names at you. It's a whole other thing to go and actually see them, isn't it? OK, and a number of people are on about roses. Is it uh, too late to prune roses? Now, uh, Rose is one of the. Uh, uh, is it too late to prune roses? Now, a number of listeners in with that same question. Definitely not. Definitely not too late. No, and it's kind of a job anyway that it's better late than not at all. So, um, uh, I would always say end of February is my kind of. I would want to have my roses cut back by the end of February. So we've still got a few weeks to go. The, as I say, if you haven't got them done by the end of February, if we were having this phone call, let's say, next month, I'd still say do it because it is better to do it a bit late. But we're not late yet. It's the short answer because if 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 you don't do it at all, the, the growth will get quite, quite ragged and quite leggy. Uh, and if you just leave it that bit later, the new growth will start over the next couple of weeks. So if, if you don't prune it, then you're, you're till then you're pruning off some of the new growth. By pruning it now... Uh, all the new growth will be below your pruning, so you get the benefit of all the new growth. Okay, let's stay on the subject of roses because Dave is in y'all. He's on the other line. He's got a question. Good afternoon to you, Dave. Hello there. You, How are you? you have a question for Peter about your roses. I have indeed. Uh, I have roses. They're very old, but they're very good. Herself looks after them quite well. She puts stuff and she feeds them, and that the only thing I do is prune them. Good man. But I do that. I do that myself, and I have that done with about a fortnight. Okay. Now they grow a lot of moss under under the stump. Is there any cure for that, or is it any harm? No, and no is the answer, Dave. Um, it, there, there isn't really a cure for it except rubbing it off with your hand. It, it's a natural thing that happens to kind of old woody growth and you're saying the roses are quite old uh, but no it's not doing any harm either so don't worry about it if, if it's very very heavy and if it's interfering with some of the leaf buds opening like physically stopping them just rub it off with your hand but no there's nothing I'd apply to it and there's no need to so you you, you should be okay with it. are they blooming well for you over the years they are they bloom they bloom very well as I say herself it's very good to look after them <laughs> getting great she's getting great credit she's, for uh, what's, anyway. what, Dave what's herself's name Sorry? What's herself's name? What's your wife? Lucinda. Wife's? Lucinda. Well done to Lucinda. Okay, Thank thanks you. for that, Dave. God bless you. <laughs> hi, God bless. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Okay, let me go to... Um, uh, hi, uh, could you ask Peter, please, is it is now the right time to cut a laurel hedge? That's from Margaret. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, it is. Uh, again, you'd, realistically, if you get it done before the, the new growth starts, which is in early March, then you'll get the benefit of the new growth. So instead of... Uh, in particular if it's anyway sparse or see-through or leggy by cutting it back now that new growth will come out to thicken it up down lower so yeah get that done before the end of January too, or before the end of February Noreen said hi Peter can, can, what can I spray my roses with when can I spray my roses with copper sulphate I cut them back about two weeks ago Good. Well, the copper sulfate is something that I often recommend, Trish, as you know, because it's a good broad-spectrum organic fungicide, right? So it's with fungal infections that affect roses like mildew, uh, grey mould, uh, rust, all of these fungal infections are much, much easier to prevent than they are to cure. So it's a good course of action is to prune them hard now uh, and then treat them with the copper, copper sulfate mixed with water and then also to feed them with a good rose food to keep them good and strong and healthy because weak plants will be more susceptible, obviously, to, to getting disease, a bit like ourselves as humans. 
So the right time to apply that copper sulfate, because while I say it is an organic and it's certified for use organically, it's not something that you would use repeatedly. You would apply it once during the year, because at the end of the day, you don't want to have a buildup of copper in the soil. So the right time to do it is what we call bud burst. Now, what bud burst means, it's nothing to do with the flowers, it's the leaf buds. So when those the leaf buds on the stem, which are dormant now and have been during the winter, when they're just bursting back into new growth, that's when you want to get the copper sulfate on because that's when the growth is most active in the plant. When's that, when is that going to be? You know, I can't give you a specific date, but it will be sometime you would expect during March that they'll, they'll come, come, into, come into growth. It's still quite mild. If we don't get it, it's still very mild. If we don't get a cold spell, I'd say it could be quite early in March. But just keep an eye out. As soon as you see the buds uh, opening up into leaf, then get it on. OK, Margaret, could you ask Peter, please, when is the best time to move an azalea? It's hidden where it currently is. Okay, well, the best time to do it, we're, we're very, coming very close to the end of that window. I'd normally like to have that done before the end of January, being honest. Uh, if you really still want to do it, do it now, but do it like immediately. You want to be moving anything like that when they're fast asleep. And I should preface this by saying that there is a very much an inherent risk in moving anything at any time of the year, even doing it at the right time of the year, uh, depending on how established it is. So if that azalea has only been in the ground, let's say, last year or the year before, your risk of, of, of root damage is minimal. But if it's been established, in other words, if it's in there five years or more, well, you can imagine that root system, it's quite broad and quite fast now, and it's clinging on to the, to the soil and, you know, in, in quite a large area. So you are going to damage that root network by lifting it. It's unavoidable. Um, so the more established it is, the, the more risk there is of damaging it and not, not of losing it. But do it immediately would be my advice. Okay. By the way, what did you name the storm that's coming in next it's either Emma or Emily. It's, I think it's Emma. It's, no, it's Ellen. 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 Sorry, <laughs> Did we have a, didn't we? Didn't Ellen visit us? Uh, well, see, it's it's done by the alphabet, so it's A B C D, and it's and they decide it every year. It's between yes. the Met Office in England and the Met Office in our and Met Erin. And I think it's isn't, isn't, isn't it boy girl, boy girl? I yeah, that's it. Yes, yeah. that's Ellen. And the boys are always worse. Than, or is it the girls that are always worse than the boys? There's, there's, um, a, very, there's a very naughty joke about that. There, but we won't right get now. into it. Yeah. We won't be allowed. Storm <laughs> Ellen, someone says, is on the way with heavy rain and flooding forecast and it's over the weekend again. For some reason, it keeps sitting us on weekends. OK, when should you break rhubarb? When should you break rhubarb? I presume they mean yeah. divide it. When should you divide the clumps, which I'd have done in kind of last autumn, early winter and planted them out. Uh, if you mean harvest it, you're still a good few weeks off that, I would say, but you could be forcing it now. And if, if I suppose if they look good enough to harvest, if you have been forcing them, then you can. But if you mean break is in divide, I would say you'd want to do that in the autumn of the year. OK, all right. Uh, stay dry and stay in out of the very windy conditions uh, is the advice. And we'll talk to you again next week, Peter. Can I give a quick shout out to before you go? The 3rd of March, I gave the wrong date last week. On the 3rd of March, I'll be speaking in Adair Hall in Formoy at 8pm. That's for Formoy Flower and Garden Company. If for anyone listening last week, I said the 4th, I was wrong. It's the 3rd of March. I'll mention it again next we'll, week. We'll remind us just close at the time. All right, have a good week. I we'll do. chat next week. That is uh, Peter Dowdle, the theirishgardener.com. Uh, and proving that you need to shop around for petrol. Somebody spotted uh, diesel six miles apart and it went from 130 a litre to 138 a litre with six miles apart. Shop around. That's where I leave you for today. Uh, Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. My thanks to John Paul McNamara and we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10. Court today on C103. With a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go. Shortcastle Street, Mallow. Call and collect or get seven day delivery for those cosy nights in. Lowcostfuel.ie 
Every Friday, we're counting down to the weekend. The weekend. By turning up the feel good. C103's Feel Good Friday brings you six hours of feel good greatest hits. Join Nick Richards from 1 and Martina O'Donoghue from 4. As we get you weekend ready. Weekend ready. Turning up the feel good for Cork. For Cork. Every Friday from 1. Feel Good Friday, only on C103. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.